The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. We'll start this morning. This is our second class on Christianity 101. We just started last week talking about core Christianity. And so let me just quickly review that. And from there, we will finish up the introduction today, and we'll start with the actual teaching as we work our way through the course. So, our goals for this course are simply to see the big picture of the Bible, to step back and to see what the Bible is about. Uh, It is to clearly see what Scripture says, what Scripture says. It is to study the doctrines that are most important to every believer that we ought to know and be aware of. And we want, to, we want to show how the knowing, experiencing, and living are all interconnected. Sometimes we say things like this, the head, the heart, and the hand, it all works together. The things I learn, they transform me, therefore I go out and I work for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to be saved, but because I am saved, and that the Word of God is transforming my heart and my life. So we said last week, we do not approach the Word as a how-to book. Right? We don't just go and pick up the Bible and say, okay, I want to be a better fill-in-the-blank. And that's what I use the Bible for. Does the Bible tell us how to be a better? Yes, it does. But that's not its primary purpose. Nor do I use the Bible as a moral checklist. So I just open it up and say, check, 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 check. I've got this covered. Does the Bible talk about morality? Yes, it does. That is not primary. Right? The primary idea of the Word of God is, what is the Bible? If you're here last week, I hope you got at least one idea. It's a story of redemption. It is a story. It is a drama. We said the unfolding drama of redemption. And we can categorize this in ways to help us. Some people talk about creation, fall, redemption, consummation, or creation, fall, rescue, restoration. The idea that that's the big picture. And so the Bible is not about you. The Bible is not about me. The Bible is about Jesus Christ and the story of rescue and redemption. There's this scarlet thread that runs throughout, and we see the unfolding drama of redemption within. And so last week we spent a lot of time on this point, that as we look to the Bible, Old and New Testament, we see Jesus Christ. We see Christ. So, let me ask you this morning, what's with Christ and Adam? What is that about? We, we have the beginning of the story, here is Adam Any insight to what Adam is about then, in regards to Jesus? The first Adam, right, who failed in the testing, right, was put on trial, was not hungry, but he disobeyed God. The second Adam, trial in the wilderness for 40 days, was hungry, fulfills, right? So we see that over and over again. So, so far that's good. I think this is the oil that gets it started this morning, all right? So the first Adam, the second Adam. Tell me about the prophet. Prophet, right? We see that in the Old Testament over and over again. The prophet. How does this relate to Christ? The prophets of the Old Testament. Well, the pictures of Christ, and when Christ came, became the picture of uh, Joseph, the suffering servant. Oh, yeah, there's lots there as well, Jordan. That's exactly. So these prophets have come. They proclaimed, right, the, the word of the Lord, thus saith the, the Lord. Jesus comes and says, uh, let me tell you what I meant when I wrote that, right? Not thus saith the Lord, this is what I am saying. 
He is the true prophet. He is the fulfillment of all of those things. And so we see that in the prophet. What about uh, the priest? The priest of the Old Testament. How does that relate to Jesus Christ? The priest. Anything significant there? He is our high priest. And those men had to purge themselves. They went in. Uh, they really never went into heaven's throne room. Jesus Christ goes in. He provides himself a sacrifice. He is pure and spotless and sits down. Eric? He becomes the perfect atonement. And he becomes the perfect atonement. We talk about the lamb. We see it in the Old Testament. From the very beginning, the innocent dying for the guilty. Throughout the Old Testament, over and over again, a lamb dying. Jesus comes on the scene and John says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. And again, we see in Revelation, the great throne room chapters of 4 and 5, as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world, from cover and cover to cover. We said last week that if we were to take the Bible like a jigsaw puzzle, the box on the front, and put all the pieces together, what we'd have is a picture of the lamb. And that's the story of the Bible. It is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the obedient son. He fulfills the law. Our second Adam, the true prophet, the wise and just king, the final high priest. And so that is the drama. It shows him. It shows him. Now, in this drama, this story, it yields. Now, the second point is doctrine. Here's the story. Here's the picture. It's all about him. We see him from cover to cover. Every story whispers his name. But now we have doctrine. This drama yields doctrine. Tell me what doctrine is. What is doctrine? Basically, what is doctrine? It's teaching. It's a group of beliefs that we hold dear and that we teach. Now let me ask you this question. In the church of Jesus Christ, in general, is doctrine viewed as a good thing or a bad thing? It depends what church you're talking about. Right? In this church, we would say a good thing. In other areas, we hear Christian people bashing doctrine. I've heard it for years now with different statements. Anybody know of a statement that people say about doctrine that they really don't like? Okay, doctrine divides. Anybody hear that statement before? Hear it all the time. Let me ask you a question. Does doctrine divide? Yes, Yes, it does. That's a true statement. Now, listen, the fact of the matter is that the church has been guilty of, of tertiary issues, right? Third case issues that the church wants to divide over. That's not what we're talking about this morning. There's a quote by Kevin Smith, and here's what he says. We are passionate where the Bible is silent, but lukewarm where the Bible is explicit. Okay, one more time. We are passionate where the Bible is silent. We're on a crusade about areas that the Bible says very little about, and yet where the Bible is explicit and clear, we're lukewarm. We say nothing about those issues. That's problematic. And so if we're talking about dividing over these type of issues that are tertiary, that are nonsense, churches are spreading throughout our community. You know how they're spreading? It's called the Chatham Shuffle. Do you know what I mean? People aren't being converted to Christ. They're upset in one church because the toilet paper is hanging the wrong way or the carpet's the wrong color 
or someone painted a room without the, the whole council coming together, and so they leave there to another place. That, my friend, is shallow, weak, anemic, and it makes the church of Jesus Christ look laughable. Laughable. But doctrine does divide. And that division is not a bad thing sometimes. Can I say this about doctrine dividing? Truth divides. Right? I mean, because not everything can be true. Right? It's not, well, that's your truth and my truth. That's nonsense. Right? Truth is truth. And so doctrine has to divide. But let me say this to you as well. Doctrine in Christianity, true Christianity, it unifies. Because we say, this is what it means to be a believer in Christ. This is what we have believed for 2,000 years. This is what the early church taught. So the truth of the matter is, when people talk about doctrine and disdain doctrine and say, well, doctrine divides, the answer to that is yes, it can. And at times it should. But that is not necessarily a bad thing. And if we see it in the big picture, doctrine will unify the church of Jesus Christ. This is what we believe. We're not making stuff up on the fly. This is from Christ, the apostles, and the early church. All right. What's another bash about doctrine? If we say doctrine divides, is there another one that maybe something's better than doctrine? What's that, Dan? Just doctrine is boring. Doctrine is boring. It's boring. We want excitement. We want enthusiasm. I don't want teaching because teaching is boring. Listen, teaching should not be boring. It shouldn't be. But there are those who have a knack of taking the great truths of the Bible and making them boring. And it shouldn't be. The, that's, that's not a gift. But the other part of that is we are so anemic in our culture that we want to be entertained at the drop of a hat. Our children cannot sit for 20 minutes in a church service. Because we have to entertain them. We can sit in front of a TV for four hours and not move. You don't even know if they're alive. They're comatose. And we have adults now that just view doctrine or teaching as, it's just boring. Mm, there's a problem with that. Because doctrine is everything. And these truths that we talk about, they are life-transforming. So people will say, it divides, it's boring. Is there anything else? Those are good. Corinne? Intolerant. It's intolerant, right? That this is your truth and not my truth. And so you are intolerant in this area because you think you have the truth. Listen, true Bible doctrine is not arrogant. It humbly says, thus saith the Lord. And we have a standard outside of ourselves. That doesn't change after, you know, I, I used a joke last week from Mark Twain where he said, when, my, when I was 14, my dad was such an ignorant fool, I couldn't stand him to be around. And when I turned 21, I was amazed how much the old man had learned in seven years, right? Think about our own experiences. You know, how kids do think they know everything. Everything. I'm 15. I know everything. I'm 18. I got it covered. And then life happens. And the things they thought were so important all of a sudden change. Why? Because we do change like that. But doctrine doesn't change. It stays the same. It's a standard that we can trust and rely on. And so we have people say, oh, that's intolerant. But just their view saying that, is they're telling us that their view is right and ours is wrong. That's intolerant. Right? So you can be careful about that. Anything else about doctrine? Yes. It's outdated. It's outdated. Exactly. That, that's old. It's archaic. We don't need that. I, I hope that we see during this whole time, as we as we work our way through this, it is not outdated at all. It is more relevant than you could ever imagine. 
And we'll talk about that today. Good. Another hand went up somewhere. Yes, brother. It doesn't fit with what I feel. <laughs> ah, it doesn't fit with what I feel. My feelings. My feelings are important. I think Dan sort of touched on this as well as far as this idea of boring. Our feelings. Let me talk a little bit about our feelings. Alistair Begg talked about love and this, this spirit. We want the spirit. We want excitement. And, and here's the truth of the matter. Let's just be honest. When it comes to the spirit of God, for many of us, because of the abuses that we have seen in the past with Pentecostalism, the pendulum has swung so far the other way that we ignore the spirit of God. And that's problematic. We cannot ignore the third person of the Trinity. And we can't live this life without him. And we need his power. And we need to see it in our lives. Steve? Just because they did certain things in the old way, certain way, doesn't mean that that was always right. Absolutely. They had to have a meeting to see if they should have a meeting. Yeah, that's right. Just because it was done that way doesn't mean it was right. And I think what, what happens to us is we see abuses, and so the pendulum swings the other way where there's no spirit now. We just want the word. Alistair Begg said this, and I think it's profound. He says, no spirit and all word. Ignoring the Holy Spirit, ignoring the emotional part of us as well, all spirit and no word, people dry up. No spirit, all word, people dry up. Right? This intellectual deadness. All spirit and no word, people blow up. Get that? There's no boundary, there's no guideline, there's no truth. It's just like, I just feel. So I feel this, and then I just go with this. People blow up. Churches blow up. But then he says this, and I think it's profound and simple. Both spirit and word, we grow up. We grow up. We don't dry up, we don't blow up, we grow up. And so it's the truth. Andrew? I think it it lends itself to what you said earlier about our entertainment culture, because... Um, all spirit is really easy. What's the spirit telling you today? You deal with it, and then it's, it's, that's it. Whereas getting in the word and learning doctrine is it's hard work. It's, Absolutely. You have to get in the word and you have to really kind of like grind through it sometimes and, and really get it. But that's what we need to do. That's what we And it is work. And it does cause conflict. What Corinne said earlier, this idea of, well, you're intolerant. It's getting to this word and doing the hard work. Spirit's easy. But here's the problem with all spirit, and I'm not talking about Holy Spirit, I'm talking about our own spirit. I don't know about you, but here's how my emotions go. Boop! Right? That's, that's how mine sound. They literally, I never stop making noises. Mine sound like that. It's not good, right? Good. Here's another thought just about doctrine before we, we move on. The, the idea that why not just concentrate on loving Jesus? Forget the doctrine part. I mean, it's all about Jesus. You just said the whole drama is him. Why don't we just all love Jesus? Dan? What Jesus? That's, him. That's my next point. <laughs> what Jesus? Let's all love Jesus, but can I tell you something? There are many Jesuses out there. See, and, and you, you better know this, there is the right one, baby, and there's the wrong ones. And we have to be careful. That's why this idea of doctrine and teaching is so important, because you need to know the right Jesus. And, and, and you, you cannot focus on one of his attributes and ignore the rest. Is Jesus loving? Yes, yes, yes. I was reading this morning, and Sibs was talking about, from Mark chapter 1, and the, the man who's a leper and says, Lord, if thou canst, if thou will, thou canst make me clean. Dirty leper. 
who was unclean, that if you touched them, you became unclean. That the Pharisees would throw rocks at to get them to go across the street, right? And Jesus says, I will. I will. And he touches them. It's a beautiful thing, right? But that same Jesus, and we'll talk about it next week, says, hey, I want to tell you something. Don't be afraid about the guy who can kill your body and not the soul. You better be afraid of the guy, the one, who can kill both body and soul in hell. That's from Jesus, the real Jesus. And so you can say, we just want to love Jesus. Well, number one, we better know what Jesus we're talking about. Because for many of folks in Christianity, their Jesus is a Jesus that they made themselves. By the way, if your God agrees with everything you do, right, you are worshiping an idolized image of yourself. Right? If your God is cool with everything that you ever say and every, everything you ever do, there's a problem with that. And so we have to know which one. Right? Not only that, number two, we cannot love what we do not know. When I was a kid, this is going to sound, it doesn't matter. Um, when I was a kid, in the 90s, after the fall of the Soviet Union, there was this big thing about, if you remember this, but Russian mail-order brides. Anybody remember that? She works strong like ox, right? And, and so, and so, <laughs> strong like, it's, it's my Russian, it's bad, I'm still, okay, sorry. But that's the idea. This, this picture bride that you could go, and guys are, I'm in love with her. I'm just in love with her because the picture is beautiful. Here's the truth. You have no idea what you're talking about. You love an idea. You love this object that will gratify you. Maybe you love the idea of being in love and working like hucks. But, but maybe you're a farmer. I don't know. But, but that you cannot love what you do not know. It can't be done. And so... It's like, well, what, Jesus? Well, which one? And, and I have to tell you something. As we see the story, and then it unfolds in doctrine, we see the Jesus of the Bible, and can I tell you something? He's really easy to love. I mean, to fall in love with. He's altogether lovely. So, doctrine is important. But, before we get there, and, and talk about doctrine, then how it leads to doxology, and then discipleship, let me give you a side note before we delve into this, which is really important. I want you to know something as we talk about the story and then the doctrine of the story, the teaching. What the Christian faith claims is either true or false. Okay? Now listen to me. People say, well, it doesn't matter if it's true. If, if it works for you, if it satisfies your needs, if it gives you meaning and purpose in your life, then it's fine. Then it's good. Then it, that's okay. It doesn't matter if it's true. Listen to me. That is not Christianity. This morning, what we believe is either true or it's false. And if it is false, get out now. Because you're wasting your time. You're wasting your life. I don't care if something gives you meaning, if it makes you feel better about yourself, if now that you have a sense of purpose, Christianity is either true or false. Our faith is a reason trust in the God who has clearly revealed himself in the gospel. The gospel is a very particular claim, right? It's based on events that happen in history. And you can check it out. 
Someone read for me, if you would. There's, there's two portions of Scripture. This will give me a break for a minute. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. If someone would grab that text this morning. Luke 1, 1 through 4. Someone there. Luke 1, 1 through 4. Joanne. And then someone hit 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. I have a volunteer for that. Daniel, a multitask, brother? Okay. The gospel is a very particular claim. Listen now to Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou might know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Luke says, I'm going to write down some things. And here's what I'm writing. I'm writing a collection of the events that happened in Jerusalem that everybody knows about, that they're eyewitnesses from. I'm talking to the eyewitnesses that saw this event. It wasn't done in the closet. It wasn't done secretively. It's not like nobody knew about this or someone said they had a vision. This was done in a historical place. It was done in Jerusalem, and the world saw it. They witnessed it. And so Luke says, here's what I'm doing. I'm collecting all of the, all of the documentation. I'm talking to witnesses who were there, and I'm going to present to you what we believe. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. By which also you were saved, in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I deliver unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and then he was buried, and then he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And he was seen of Cephas and then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of the time. Here's Paul. Corinthians maybe one of the earliest books written, and, and he's already saying, listen, I want to tell you something. This is what the gospel is. These are the people who have seen what we're talking about. And if you don't believe me, go ask them. Right? Go ask them. And you want to talk about credible witnesses, over 500, right? Not hallucinations, 500. The friends and foes of Christ knew the story, right? And so the, the truth is, the gospel is a very particular claim based on events in history. You, you cannot get around it. You can, you can explain it away if you want to, but you cannot ignore it. And Christianity is a faith that says, go check it out. A matter of fact, if you're familiar with the Apostles' Creed, in the Apostles' Creed, it, it has a statement that, that Christ, this is what we believe, that Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate. What does Pontius Pilate matter? Do you know why it matters? Because he existed. And the world knows he existed. And the early church said, what we believe is that Christ was crucified under his reign. Go check it out. And so, Quit with the platitudes of, well, it doesn't really matter if it's true or not, or the story's good, or no. It is either true or it's false. 
And we have the evidence from the word of God and the eyewitnesses that tell us this event took place. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. And he has changed the world. He's changed the world. And so it's either true or false. That's the best I can do with that. It's true or false, man. And if it's false, get out. I I will lead you out if it's false. Paul? You know, um, most religious books are written by one man, you know, and and over a time of years. um, The Bible, you know, has been written over thousands of years, all coinciding together. Absolutely. You know, it's just... Different authors, different places, different professions, different educational levels, prophets, farmers, shepherds, fishermen, and the book has been hammered like an anvil for 2,000 years, and it stands. It stands, and it will stand. And so, you know, Muhammad can have a vision, and no one sees it. They showed up in Mecca sometime, and it's gospel. And yet you have 500 people say, listen, we were in Jerusalem. We saw the risen Christ. They were eyewitnesses, and they tell us of the place, the events, and who was there at the time. It's a beautiful thing. So, doctrine's important. This is true. So the drama, in the drama, we observe, like Pastor Dan just read, that Christ died, was buried, and raised, 1 Corinthians 15. Here's what doctrine does for us now, and you've got to get this. Doctrine then tells us what this story means for us. Now here's an example of this. Romans chapter 5, or 4, verse number 23. Romans 4, 23, Paul says, Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, talking about the faith being imputed to Abraham, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised for our justification. See, we have the story, and the story says Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose again. From cover to cover, this is the story that's shouted. And Paul says, now the doctrine or the teaching tells us that he died for our sins. You have been written into this story, and he was raised for our justification. This is what doctrine does. And and can I tell you something? It might seem like, well, that's no big deal. So what? It is a big deal. Doctrine is a lifeline to the drowning, food for the starving, cool water for the parched. It is a ladder that leads from the burning house. It is very practical. It is the living God's instruction to his creation. It teaches about him and about us. It's about us. What it means to us. And it's life-changing. Doctrine is life-changing. The truth is, folks, we don't even know the, the right questions to ask in life. And doctrine answers those questions for us. Who are we? What's this all about? Where are we going? What does the God of heaven look like and what does he expect? And the beauty of doctrine is that as God speaks through his word, he does meet our deepest needs. Do you know, the world's complicated, isn't it? Everybody's got problems. 
And it's just like, if you start listening to people in their problems, like, oh my goodness, this is going on here and this is going on here. And then you see all these halo things happening to where they're insecure here or they're going on here or they've got this behavioral issue here. And the truth is, when you get to the Bible teaching about man and God and we boil it down, something miraculous happens because we see God for who he is and who we are. And all of a sudden, as we deal with those issues, all these halo things start going away. Doctrine is important. Doctrine is important. So we need it. It tells us about the God we serve and what he expects out of us. Okay? It's not boring. It's life-changing and transformative. This doctrine then leads to praise um, and worship or doxology. Um, this was mentioned earlier, about, and it, it goes in line with, with doctrine, I think, that what we do in our churches today is we try to conjure up these emotions for praise. Right? And so, if we can just have something really exciting, so when you come in, in the time change Sunday, when you're out of it, and you come in in the morning, and it's like, man, they're dead today, let's have the lights, let's have the smoke, let's have the noise, let's do some drama, let's do some things to really get them amped up, and get them ready for praise and worship. It was Alistair Begg, and if you've not seen this clip of him, you should see it. He was out in a church in, I think, California, just visiting. And he gets there, and the worship leader stands up and says, Hey, everybody, how y'all feeling today? How you feeling? And I, I'm not sure if Alex, if, if, uh, if Beg said this, but I think what he said is something like this, I feel like crap. <laughs> you want the truth? How you feeling? Maybe he didn't say that. Maybe I just say that. Did he say that, Dan, or no? He, did say, he didn't say that. Oh. Oh, but that's what he meant. I was okay. That's good. I was just telling you what he meant. I could really tell what he was saying. How do you feel? Like, listen. Do you really want to know how I feel? Can I tell you this morning how I feel? I feel like we've had wave after wave after wave lately of heartache. That's how I feel. Two little babies in emergency surgery. One not out of the woods yet. A man just sent to hospice who is sitting in a bed with his wife of 65 years, dying. Wonder how I feel? And it, and it goes on. I mean, the list goes on and on with families who are struggling, who are hurting, who are reeling, who don't know how to make heads or tails, who have bad news, who are terminal. We're all terminal, but they know it. Who are dying, who are waiting for test results. Do you know how I feel? I feel nothing at times. I feel empty at times. I feel downright depressed at times. That's how I feel. And begs us something wonderful. He says, don't ask me how I feel. Ask me what I know. Ask me what I know. Let me tell you what I know. I know every story points to him. I know that he is a faithful prophet, priest, and king. I know that every son and daughter of Adam have failed miserably to fulfill the commission that God gave humanity, including ourselves. I know that. I know we deserve death, and only death. And yet, he has fulfilled the righteous law's demands perfectly. He died in my place. He was buried for three days. Later, he got up and rose again. He brought life, hope, reconciliation. His obedience gives life gives resurrection. It gives us a future. He has entered into heaven victorious. 
and I will follow him. Don't ask me how I feel. Ask me what I know. Now, because I know this, now let me tell you how I feel. We're going to be okay. Right? Yeah, I don't feel it. But this is what it tells me. This is what I know. This is what God has said. And I'm not basing it on how I feel. Now that I know this, I don't need smoke and lights. I don't need a fog machine. It's probably bad for your breathing anyways. Don't need it. Don't have to have it. Why? Because this is what I know. And when I know this, you know what happens inside my heart? I want to praise him. In the midst of all of it, I want to praise him. Last night I was listening uh, to the Psalms on my phone. And so I just started in Psalm 103, which is a great psalm. Let me read it for you. And I want you to think now, when we're talking about doctrine and God and who he is and what he's done, and your situation, my situation, the church's situation, look what happens as the psalmist is talking about God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And so I'm going to tell you. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his commandments, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments. Hearken unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye host, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That's doctrine. That's that boring doctrine that you don't have time for, that you want more than that. You want an experience. You want the lights. You want the fog. You want the noise. That will never do for you what this just does. It shows God for who he is. It reminds us of who we are. It claims his promises, and it tells us to bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless his holy name. Um, Is that clock right? Now we've got time. Okay. Uh, and listen, uh, this happens over and over again in the Bible. Paul gives a perfect example. Someone look at Romans chapter 11, verse 33 through 36 this morning. Romans 11, 
33 through 36. Someone want to tackle that one for me? Romans 11, 33 to the end. When you're there, just put up your hand. Eric, if you'll read that. Well, before you read it, Paul has just gone through the book of Romans, and it's strictly telling us man's sin, God's answer, his desire for the nations. I mean, Romans is heavy, heavy teaching. Heavy, heavy doctrine. It's, I mean, it is packed. And look what happens to Paul in Romans chapter 11 when he's finished and he reflects on everything he's just said. Eric, 33 to 36. Oh, the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Right? The drama, the doctrine, and doxology. Paul can't help himself. It's almost like it just, it just burst out of him. To God be the glory in all of this. So, the drama, the doctrine, doxology all produce then discipleship. Um, because praise does change us. Informed praise changes us. Not just praise, like woohoo! That's, that's not. But informed praise Changes us. That's what we see in Paul's writings here. That's what the Bible tells us clearly. Um, we will celebrate communion this morning. Can I tell you the best thing our church has ever done, ever done, is make communion primary at least once a month. That's our service. And do you know why it's been the best thing? Because Jesus Christ is glorified. We again have to purposely think about his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his coming again. And, and that teaching tells us that when we come together, our hearts better be right with him and one another. So you got 30 days to be mad at somebody. Right? Take your whole 30 days if you want to and be ungodly. But number 31, when you come in for communion, about the story and the teaching and the praise, you better get that right. It's a beautiful thing. And it's changed our church. It has changed our church. And this idea of informed praise through the teaching, um, it changes us. It produces discipleship, right? We look to God, his acts, what he's done, who we are, and why we should trust him. Then we look away from ourselves. When we see this for what it is, we understand the story is no longer about us anymore at all. You're not the main character. Mm, What does God have for me today? Mm, Oh, there it is. He just, you're not the main character. You're just a character. That's it. But he's written you into the story. Can you imagine? Listen to me. The God of heaven has written you in to the story. The story. And so now I look outside of myself. Outside of myself. I live now out the part that God has for me wherever he's placed me. Which is an awesome thing for the believer. doesn't matter who you are, what you do, your vocation, or lack of one. You're part of the story. As we learn of him, we see his word, we praise him, we're changed. Now what happens is, wherever he's placed me, I work this thing out. And then we look to our neighbors in love. That's discipleship, right? As God changes me, 
all of a sudden I see humanity for what it is. Uh, it's really disgusting. Humanity sucks. It does. But can I tell you something? In the midst of all that brokenness, we have the answer. We have hope. We have the word that transforms lives. It does give meaning. It does give purpose because it reminds us that we were created in his image. And without that, there is nothing. But now we have hope. And we take that hope to people who have no hope. And it works its way out. That's what happens after the praise in Romans 11. The next thing we find is Paul in Romans chapter 12 saying, hey, when you consider everything I've just talked about, here's something reasonable for you. Give your life away for him. This is your reasonable service. In light of the story, in light of what it teaches, in light of the praise that just comes up from within us, now go give your life for, for him. It's reasonable. And that's where we're headed. So, in the weeks ahead, as we look to the, the doctrine now specifically, keep in mind the big picture. It's all about Christ. You're going to see that. And then don't let it become stagnant or boring or I don't need this or I want excitement. I'm telling you something. As we go through these truths, as they're taught week after week, you will see what it means, the God of heaven, what, what your role is in this and how it's going to change you. And it will change us. We need to know these things. And so I'm excited about the future. As we start next week, I think we start on the person of God is where we start. And look forward to that. Any questions or comments before we end this morning? Anything at all? All right, well, God bless you, and uh, we will see you in the services in about 13 minutes.